Today is the third Sabbath after the last great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, this year we celebrated double Sabbath during the feast. We had the weekly Sabbath and then the annual Sabbath were on the same day as the weekly Sabbath. And today is the weekly Sabbath. We're also celebrating the millennial Sabbath of rest for a thousand years. So we do that every week. Uh, we hope that you, all of you, had a super inspiring Feast wherever you were. Uh, some of you were online. Uh, my wife and I were in Williamsburg, Virginia, and uh, where we had 200 people meeting in the same room as we are doing here. The beautiful hall, and we had uh, spatial distancing as well. We had beautiful attitudes and a beautifully inspiring feast. And around the world, we had 105 feast sites in 58 countries. And most of us heard 11 sermons, 10 sermonettes, and in Williamsburg we had uh, one Bible study as well. So the annual festivals are important in our training as kings and priests for the coming kingdom. But what did you learn at the feast this year? What were your spiritual highlights at the feast this year? What did you take home with you in terms of lasting lessons of life. Uh, Mr. Rod McNair passed on a comment from a lady who was able to attend only by uh, live streaming. She wrote, To all concerned, I wish to thank you all for that great service you extended to all who streamed your messages over the past eight days. I was made to feel a part of the feast and not just keeping it by myself. Thank you so very much. You are a spiritual lifeline with Sister Love and the woman's name. So what were your impressions of the feast? I'd like you to take 60 seconds and write down a sentence or two. What was the memorable highlight of your feast this year? Uh, what lessons did you learn? What was your impression of the feast? So I'm going to give you 60 seconds, and if you're not writing notes, just construct a sentence in your mind uh, summarizing your impression of the feast. Well, I'm sure you could write more than one sentence of your impressions. Uh, Mr. Weston, in his World Ahead, October 15th, two weeks ago, wrote, We have much for which to thank our Creator for providing a safe and memorable feast. I asked my wife this morning what was her impression. She said, Encouragement and inspiration from the sermons and the fellowship. And I thought one of the most inspiring Lessons of the feast to me was the presence of God Almighty, our Father, and the presence of Jesus Christ throughout the feast. And, of course, that's true here in Charlotte today and wherever our brethren are meeting around the world. We're meeting in the presence of God the Father and Christ. So inspiring to realize that, yes, he is teaching us and training us. We have the uh, sermon number 856, Last, Lasting Lessons of Life. What lessons did you learn during the feast? And what will you remember from the feast? You might turn to John 14, John the 14th chapter. What lessons will you remember from the feast? 
and how will you remember them? This is a promise in the Bible that I claim every once in a while when I'm maybe even preparing a sermon or uh, thinking about writing an article. John 14 and verse 26. John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, he will teach you all things, as God has revealed to us the awesome mystery of the kingdom and the revelation of his truth and master plan of salvation for all human beings, teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So he's given us that promise of bringing to our remembrance those things that we focused on spiritually uh, in the feast. And I still remember a few of the sentences back in my feast in uh, Squaw Valley in 1962. (laughs) I remember one one sermonette, we're running the last lap. I still remember things from way back. And uh, claim that promise that God will bring to your remembrance all things that he's spoken unto you. But, of course, you want to be a good disciple. You want to be a good student. You want to learn. You want to make them a part of your memory and a part of your character. The title of the sermon today is simply Lessons from the Feast. Lessons from the Feast. So what will you remember and what were your impressions? So let's consider seven lessons or impressions or principles we should have learned from the feast. Will these principles or lessons be a part of your character as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? At the feast this year, we learned that we must what? At the feast this year, we were reminded that we must what lesson we learned? At the feast this year, we were reassured that we must practice what lesson? Lesson number one. At the feast this year, we learned that we must, number one, submit to Christ. Submit to Christ as the active living head of the living church of God. Submit to Christ as the acting living head of the living church of God. At the feast in Williamsburg this year, this is my my 110th feast site, uh, my 60th year keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, and my wife's uh, 63rd year of keeping the feast. So at the feast, we all were on the same page, at least in Williamsburg, and I'm sure most of the feast sites around the world. Everyone cooperated with the instructions. Uh, we saw God's loving government in action. The feast was peaceful, unified, inspiring, and motivating. And everyone cooperated with the instructions from headquarters. Uh, Many served willingly with a cheerful attitude. And, of course, uh, that very character of God is doing God's will and his work with a cheerful attitude. Turn to John, the seventh chapter. John 7. We follow God's government and and instructions and the head of the church, Christ Jesus our Lord. And this was an interesting aspect of John, the seventh chapter, that I've read it many times, but it just seemed to jump off the page at me here recently. John 17, John 7, and uh, verse 17. John 7 and verse 17. 
We want to do God's will. We want to follow his instructions. John 7, verse 17, if anyone wills to do his will. I thought that was interesting. We, we, we want to do God's will, but he says you need to will to do God's will. So again, we have that free moral agency that God gives us. And the very fundamental growing in godly character is to seek God's will and to decide in our heart and mind to do God's will. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Turn to Philippians, the second chapter. Here again is another one of those promises where we we follow the instructions of Christ and do his will. Philippians, the second chapter. This is the one where our critics say, well, you have a salvation by works. And even here, Paul writes in verse 12, Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, you've got to work that out. Wow. But what is the answer to that? How do you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? The next verse gives the answer. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good work. What a wonderful promise God gives you. He says if you're weak-willed, he will even strengthen your will. And he work in you to actually practice his instructions and his commandments and to fulfill his will. What a wonderful promise. I hope you're claiming those promises. The church is a body of converted members. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 1 Corinthians 12. And this was so impressionable at the feast to know that, yes, God the Father and Jesus Christ were present in spirit. Because the very body of Christ was there. 1 Corinthians, uh, the 12th chapter, and uh, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And, of course, then he talks about God's government here, which uh, some groups uh, uh, disapprove of or reject. But we're all the members of that same body. Uh, we're all the members of the family of God, the royal family of God. But you notice what part of the body you might be? Notice he says in verse 15, If the foot should say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it not therefore of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smell? smelling? So he doesn't mention the word nose, but it's in there as well. You might be a nose. But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, as he pleased. So he mentions a foot, a hand an ear, an eye. And, of course, then verse 21, he talks about the hand and then also the feet. So we are the body of Christ and members in particular. 
And while we're here, we turn back just to 1 Corinthians 11. So the Christ's body, the church is Christ's body, and we're members individually. And just to remind you of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. We turn to Colossians 1.14. Colossians 1.14. Again, we see that we are unified as the body in Christ. Colossians 1.14. Talking of Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins... Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principles, or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning or the beginner the firstborn from the dead, that in all things we may have the preeminence. So again, he is the head. And this is the test that we've seen throughout the ages of modern era of God's church, whether people really believe and understand that Jesus Christ is the actual, powerful, dynamic, active head of the living church of God. And where are those fruits? It tells us in Matthew, the seventh chapter, by their fruits you shall know them. And you have to examine yourself and test whether this church organization or that church organization is actually fulfilling the mission that Christ has given the church. But we must all come to the conclusion and understand and test and make sure we prove to ourselves where Christ is working. And he is all-powerful. He's a savior of the world. And, of course, it tells us in Hebrews 1, He sustains the universe, all things, by his word. That's the Savior uh, that we have. So he guides and blesses his body. So at the feast this year, we learn that we must submit to Christ as the active living head of the living church of God. Lesson number one. Lesson number two. At the feast this year, we learn that we must, number two, Practice consistent brotherly love. And we have that hymn, of course, we sing, page 120, By this shall all men know. And you all know John 13, 35 by heart. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And John 15, 10, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down one's life for his friends. So at the feast, we saw brotherly love in action. When my wife and I checked out of the hotel there in Williamsburg, we were at the Fort Magruder Hotel and Resort in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, The manager said, uh, he recognized me, I guess, as the guest speaker, and he said, we hope you'll all come back next year. And uh, he said, looked at my bill and said, by the way, uh, you are overcharged at a higher rate. And he took $400 off my bill. 
I think he wanted us to come back next year. Though, though God's people set a sterling example, a notice by the hotel staff there in Williamsburg, and I'm sure that was the case in many other festival sites around the world. Mr. Wally Smith gave a, an impression of the feast. He put this on Facebook on October 11th, uh, 2020 at 8.54 p.m. His impression of the feast. What a remarkable feast of tabernacles on last great day. Thanks to everyone who made the feast at Lake of the Ozarks in Branson so wonderful this year. Many worked behind the scenes to make the feast what it was, and thanks to all of you, too. So many tasks were accomplished invisibly, and we appreciate it. That definitely includes the virtual choir and the worldwide children's choir, both of which were simply inspiring. Anyone watching that children's choir and not being moved at the true globe-spanning nature of God's church was not paying attention. And to all of you who prepared messages for us, thank you for pouring out yourself out and crafting such beautiful, feast-worthy sermons and sermonettes. It was a real privilege to hear from you as you worked to help make the reign of Christ seem a little bit closer and the world around us today seem a bit more in the past. So what was your impression of the feast? At the feast, we practiced encouraging one another. We practiced uh, brotherly love. Turn to Colossians, uh, the second chapter, already here in Colossians. Colossians 2 and verse 1. Colossians 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in, in the flesh that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. So he talks about our being encouraged, and we need to encourage one another, knit together in love, as he explains it here in Colossians, the second chapter. We have a sermon by that very title, Encourage one another. That's uh, number 922. Oh, no, that's uh, a different sermon. The sermon 922 is a split sermon by Mr. Ken Frank, Son of Encouragement. And I won't turn there, but Acts 4, verse 36 and 37 talks about Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas, and it says in the verse 37, who was also Joseph, whose also name was Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. So here's a man who is known for his encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Turn to Hebrews, the third chapter, Hebrews 3, and we just did one more exhortation about encouraging one another and practicing brotherly love. Hebrews 3 and verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. As we've heard so many warnings that we have distractions in our multimedia world, 
distractions every day, and we need to focus on the goal and make sure that we're not distracted. Exhort one another daily, and we're doing that in our Bible studies, our fellowship. The NIV says, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So we have uh, sermon number 702, is encourage yourself in the eternal by Dr. Jeff Fall. Encourage yourself in the eternal, uh, sermon 702. And sermon 630, encourage one another. So lesson number two, we learned at the feast that we must practice consistent brotherly love. We love one another by serving one another, by respecting one another, caring for one another, and encouraging one another. And of course we have the sermon uh, ten ways to love one another. That's available on our website as well. But lesson number three. At the feast, we learned that we must support the church with a healthy heart. Support the church with a healthy heart. <clears throat> the Holman Bible Dictionary defines the symbolism of the heart. What does the heart mean in Bible symbolism? The Holman Bible Dictionary says, the heart represents, quote, the center of the physical, mental, and spiritual life of humans, end of quote. The NIV Study Bible says the heart is symbolic of one's being, including mind, will, and emotions. Symbolic of one's being, including mind, will, and emotions. It's interesting. I asked my wife that question one time. What does the symbol of the heart in the Bible mean to you? And she said, the heart represents the true intent and feelings of the real you. I think that's really a solid explanation of the word heart in the Bible. The real you. So we know in Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, which you turn back there, scripture that's familiar with most of you, Deuteronomy 5, and uh, verse 29. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Oh, God just want, wanted Israel to have the kind of heart that you and I and spiritual Israel, the church, have today. Is that the heart that we have? Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. That's the kind of heart God wants us to have. But notice also, while we're here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and verse 28, turn over the page. And of course, this is one of the reasons for prophecy, one of the purposes of prophecy. That purpose is that we preach the warning so that when people go into the great tribulation, they will remember our witness and our message and repent in the great tribulation. And that's the message of Deuteronomy 4 in verse 29. 
but from there, talking about being in captivity, but from there you will seek the eternal your God and will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And so the telecast and the publications and the social media that are preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God are witnessing, witnessing to millions. And millions in the great tribulation will remember the witness that we're giving today. We pray that many of them will heed this particular prophecy and warning and promise that they will repent in the time of the great tribulation. God says he will be merciful to them and he will answer them and find them if they will seek him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's the kind of heart that we need to have. And uh, we need to have, of course, our heart in God's work, as we've been told so many times, that we have a pure heart. And what is the greatest purpose of our heart is all? Mark 12, verse 28. Again, we read this quite often, but it's still the most important commandment in the world that every human being of the 7.8 billion people, by the way, the population is uh, still increasing. It's over 7.8 billion in the world, headed towards 8 billion. Of course, uh, China... Uh, number one populated uh, nation with 1.35 billion, and India next with 1.25 billion people on the face of the earth. Uh, those, all these people are going to be witnessed to. And of course, as we pointed out before in our prophecies, that one, one fourth are going to be killed by the four horsemen in the late run. And then later on, when the in the uh, seven last plagues, another third. So out of eight billion people, only two billion will, will die in the first wave, leaving six billion. And then a third of that later on. Another two billion of the six billion left. So you're going to have four billion people, roughly out of eight billion living, if we ever get to that stage. Just, just uh, thinking in, in broad terms. So what we have today of eight, coming up to 8 billion people after God's judgments, we'll have about uh, 4 billion people left on the face of the earth that we'll have to deal with at the beginning of the millennium. But here in Mark, the 12th chapter, we have the first great commandment after Jesus was challenged by, well, by the scribes. Mark 12 and verse 28. Mark 12 and verse 28. Which is the first commandment of all? One of the scribes asked. Verse 29. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And what is heart? Again, that's the real you. With all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So this is not something that we forget. It's something we remind us of and we 
write on our hearts and minds that great priority that our whole being is dedicated to our relationship with God the Father and with Christ. I won't turn there, but you know Psalm 51 and verse 10. The whole process that God is creating not only the great universe, but creating His masterpiece of creation, holy, righteous, godly character in each one of you and me. David prayed, Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And I hope that's your prayer, because that's the process God is giving us. That's what His whole purpose is to create in us. He created man in His own image, in His own likeness physically, but now He's creating the masterpiece of righteous, holy, spiritual character. We cooperate because we have free moral agency and we want to do His will. And we ask Him to work in us to do His will and to do those things pleasing in His sight. Ephesians 4.15, turn back to Ephesians 4. You know Ephesians 4 and uh, talks about the old man and the new man, but also talks about the church body and our growing in the character of Christ, Ephesians 4 and verse 15. Ephesians 4, 15. But speaking the truth in love, oh, you can speak the truth in hate, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by the every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And that's what we saw at the feast, and that's what we see here in the Charlotte congregation, that every part does its, every part of the body does its share. I just underline that part, and then by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. Yes, every hand, eye, foot, uh, nose, arm, um, every part of the body causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We appreciate the love and work and cooperation of all the brethren. So we are striving zealously to fulfill the Great Commission. And, of course... Uh, part of our mission is uh, preaching the gospel, and we're doing it in various ways. Uh, we're just mailing out, Mr. Matherly mentioned mailing out yesterday, uh, the semi-annual letter to all the members, and uh, you should be receiving the, uh, the DVD. I don't know if I have it here. Okay. Anyway, you'll get the, the DVD, A World Gone Mad. So... Uh, National Geographic magazine uh, just came out yesterday with a world gone viral, uh, but it is also a world gone mad. And you should be getting uh, your uh, DVD. You don't need to request it. It will be sent to all members automatically. But pray for the semi-annual letter. Uh, that will be going out to, uh, I presume, around 400,000 people around the world. And so uh, it's going to be a very powerful letter. Hope you uh, Pray for that, uh, for the work going out. And, of course, the uh, 
The latest Tomorrow's World magazine has just been printed. Uh, the November, December Tomorrow's World magazine. Uh, the circulation is 399,000. Uh, we printed more than 399,000, but, uh, and again, uh, it's, uh, pray for the, the magazine, but we're growing. We had 30% increase in the magazine circulation last year, uh, so it still continues to grow uh, by thousands every month. So be praying for Tomorrow's World magazine and a semi-annual letter as well. And um, the last uh, issue was September, October, was uh, 371,000. So between last issue and this year's issue, uh, we've grown by 28,000. And also, uh, Mr. Weston announced last week in the world ahead, and that's exciting news as well. And now I am able to make a very exciting announcement. Beginning in 2021, the Tomorrow's World English Language Magazine will increase from six issues every other month to ten issues per year. This is a major step forward. This will give subscribers more regular contact with the church. And so we support the church with a healthy heart, and we're thankful for the growth. And as you saw in the Behind the Work video, uh, the wonderful reports from our regional directors around the world, and also the fact that we had 40,000 requests for the Bible study course the first seven months of this year. And now uh, Mr. DeSimone just told me the other day that uh, not only are we working with the printed version of the Bible study course, but the online course, just in the last few weeks, uh, there were 700, and a new record, uh, 700 requests for the digital online version of the Bible study course. So it's very encouraging to see the growth that, that's happening. And we've added, of course, a dozen uh, new television stations uh, as well. So we'll be praying for the work and uh, we've mailed out thousands of, uh, thanks to Mr. Bonjour and the mail processing department, uh, thousands of booklets, CDs, and DVDs. And this one uh, person wrote, a subscriber, has wrote this uh, comment. I read Easter Untold Story booklet by Mr. Weston. Wow, he could not have explained it better. It's a booklet I would advise all Christians to read, especially the Catholic Church and many other churches who are mediocre. There are only a few churches in America who know the true story, and this church is one. Mr. Weston explains it real, really easy. A 14-year-old could understand this booklet. <laughs> oh, oh, it's so encouraging to know that Christ is working through us and with us, and it's going out to the world. Many, Some people are getting angry. Some getting going to be persecuting. And, of course, we have been rejected on some television stations because of what we preach. But it's so encouraging to know that Christ and God the Father are calling people, and if they're not calling them, he's witnessing to them as well. We have much more work to do. But God is blessing our efforts and more doors are opening up to the gospel. So number three, support the church with a healthy heart. The body is fruitful, accomplishing the mission Christ is giving us. The church is practicing servant leadership, and that's why the body is healthy. Number four, 
At the feast this year, we learned that we must exercise vision. Number four, exercise vision and embrace the reality of the kingdom. You all know Proverbs 29, verse 18, so I won't turn there. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. The King James Version was where there is no vision, the people perish. But again, that's the whole key. God has given that revelation of the, the tree of life, the two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represented man choosing human reasoning to decide for himself what is right or wrong. But the tree of life is the revelation that God gives us, you and me, and how awesome that privileged knowledge. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God has given us such understanding and revelation. I hope you're thanking God for that. But during the feast, we were blessed with 11 sermons, 10 sermonettes, and one Bible study. And many of you took notes at the feast. Now, this is uh, my my collection of, of feast notes. Uh, maybe not look too, too pretty, but nonetheless... Last year, I exhorted you when I got back from the feast to review your notes. And uh, some of you don't take notes. I think some of you uh, uh, probably with your uh, iPads or maybe some of them taking notes. Uh, But I find it just very inspiring. I just went over it last night and this morning just looking at some of those notes. It's so inspiring to review what God inspired at the feast. So review your notes. Some of you saw, oh, all of you must have seen Mr. Weston's sermons during the feast, the opening night, that you may learn to fear the Lord. And, of course, we find that message of God-fearing. We actually sang in our hymns already this morning, or sang, or in, in our hearts anyway. Both hymns this morning emphasize the fear of the Lord. He's blessed who fears the Lord. And that was one of the biggest lessons of the feast. Mr. Weston gave the last great day sermon, Impartial Love for Mankind. When you look at what God and the Father and and the Word decided before time began, what an incredible love to have the Word become flesh and sacrifice His life and the Father sacrificing the Son as well. We also learned about the coming kingdom of God and the rulership of the King of Kings, Christ on earth. And all the way, the DVD feast, um, well, the, the feast DVDs that were mailed out to uh, those that are homebound, uh, all of those feast sermons from 2019 are on our website. So if you want to go see what the sermons were sent out for the feast, uh, they're all on the LCG website. Uh, the V sermons from, from last year that were sent out this year. So review your notes from the feast. I'll give you one example. One sermon that we give the feast as an example was Dr. Scott Winnale's sermon there in Williamsburg, A Key to World Peace. What was that missing key? He reviewed the four elements of a kingdom, a ruler, 
In this case, the king of the king, the kingdom, or kingdom must have subjects. In this case, human beings. The kingdom has territory, which in this case is planet Earth during the thousand years of the millennium. And it must have laws. So what will be the basic law of all the nations? The Ten Commandments and their spiritual application. So we emphasize the Ten Commandments in his sermon. It has so happened that I had the, uh, the booklet. I had the booklet, The Ten Commandments, by Dr. Meredith, and I, I was reading one section from it on page four, and I thought, this was before I heard Dr. Scott's uh, sermon. And I said, you know, uh, this should be, be mentioned at the, at the feast. <laughs> and the next day, the very section that I read, Dr. Scott read from the booklet, page four, uh, Dr. Meredith wrote, Mankind is frustrated and incomplete without the living vital contact with God, walking his way, keeping his commandments. Obedience to his, God's commandments would bring peace and fulfillment and joy to all the nations and people of the earth. It is the real answer to all of our problems, individually and collectively. It is the way of life Jesus Christ is going to teach when he returns to rule this earth, Micah 4 and verse 2. So Dr. Scott was talking about world peace, and here it is, uh, Dr. Meredith said, keeping his commandments, obedience to God's commandments would bring peace and fulfillment with joy to all the nations and peoples of this earth. So... I hope that you are reading that, but just take a look at the commandments here for a moment and turn to Psalm 119. In fact, uh, Dr. Scott spent most of the sermon uh, just going through Psalm 119, where David is praising God's laws and statutes and judgments and his way of life as well. Psalm 119 and verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. So they're living it. It's a way of life. They're walking in the law of the eternal. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. So you have these key words, testimonies, statutes, judgments, commandments, laws, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Verse 7, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. So turn to uh, verse 97. Of course, this is a memorization verse. We actually have a hymn along that line. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies. And I know sometimes we get confused 
And we will think, oh, wait, maybe, maybe this accusation has some value to it. But when you think about God's commandment, it makes you wiser than your enemies. And I've gone through that, that process several times. I have more understanding than all my teachers. You know, our teenagers have more understanding than their math teacher or geography teacher or English teacher, not in those particular subjects, but more spiritual understanding than their teachers by keeping God's Word. So we thank God for following His instructions and learning His way of life. So pray that God will write His law on your heart and mind. We are pioneers of the New Covenant. We have a a sermon on our website, uh, Pioneers of the New Covenant. You might turn to Hebrews, the 8th chapter. Hebrews, the 8th chapter. And, of course, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10 talk about the New Covenant, as well as Jeremiah 31. I think you're familiar with that. Hebrews, the 8th chapter. We're going to start in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And by the way, it is read Lord here in the New Testament, not eternal. Uh, you ministers who misread this from time to time. Thus says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the rest of them, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And then he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So pray that God will write his laws on your heart and on your mind. And while we're here, turn over to... Chapter 11, verse 13, again, another one of my uh, favorite, of uh, hundreds of favorite verses. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 13. We embrace the reality of the kingdom daily. We pray God's kingdom to come. Hebrews 11, 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Uh, I have a uh, painting a young lady uh, gave my wife and me, and it's uh, symbolic of embracing the promises. And you think about embracing promises, so uh, this is a symbolic painting. Um, so we need to embrace the promises, claim the promises. And uh, God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises, as you know, uh, there in Second Peter 1 and uh, verse 2. So ask God to write his laws on your heart and on your mind. Meditate on the world to come and a world of peace for all nations. So exercise vision and embrace the reality of the kingdom. Lesson number four. At the feast, we learn that we must, number five... Follow instructions. Follow instructions which produces harmony and unity. I mentioned how the feast was so peaceful there at Williamsburg and harmonious and unified. Why? Because one of the reasons was that we followed instructions. 
uh, Dr. Scott Moynell gave an assignment at the feast for us to read through Psalm 119 and meditate on it. That was an instruction. Did we follow that instruction? I follow that instruction. You know, I, thankfully, we had a nice little little balcony. It didn't uh, face the railroad tracks across the street, but but I like trains anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and I went through it just underlining key words like meditate and, and uh, loving God as you go through someone. But when you follow instructions... God blesses you, and it was such an absolute inspiration. So what instructions did you follow? You realize that uh, he tells us in uh, before, the, before the feast that we had some instructions. When you registered for the feast, before we attended the feast this year, we all attendees were giving instructions for self-screening. There was a questionnaire. Did you follow those instructions? The questionnaire said, take your temperature. Well, uh, when we got to the feast, we got to the feast a couple days early. I went to, uh, I guess, Walgreens and bought a, 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 a temperature. Uh, a, not a <laughs> anyway, and so we were able to take my temperature. So we were instructed to take our temperature. We were instructed to follow face covering regulations. There are some, I, I hesitate to say this, but uh, God calls a spade a spade. There are some self-righteous dissidents claimed you should not wear a mask in the presence of God. They were condemning one of the greatest prophets of God, Elijah. Turn back to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. You know, then on the other hand, one of the individuals... Say, well, we're not in the presence of God. Well, are you in the presence of God or not in the presence of God? Elijah, of course, was more personally and close up in the presence of God, but we're in the presence of God. He said, come boldly before his throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so you remember Elijah fled from Jezebel, and he was in a cave. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. There he went to a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Eternal came to him, and he said to them, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the Eternal God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets, and I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. And so he said, God said to him, verse 11, Go out and stand in the mountain before the Eternal. And behold, the Eternal passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains, broke the rocks and pieces before the Eternal. But the Eternal was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Eternal was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Eternal was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah was in the presence of God and had his face covered. Uh, Some believe that it is uh, a sin or it's just an offense to God if you have a face covering in his presence. Well, are they condemning one of the greatest prophets of God? 
So we don't, we pray for those who would condemn Elijah for wearing a face covering. I hope we, hope we, they don't think they're condemning him, but yes, they are. So, you know, brethren, I guess I want to remind you that we have more information on the mask and singing and on lcg.org website. We've mentioned this to before, but go to the lcg.org website and click on Bible study. Go to Bible study, you'll get study topic, get study topics. And it's one, singing, masks, live streaming, and faith by Wallace G. Smith. Study topic, does Psalm 81 contain a commandment for singing by Dexter B. Wakefield? Study topic, masks and singing. Is one forbidden at Sabbath service while the other is commanded by Peter G. Nathan? So we had, brethren, no complaints by any of the brethren at Williamsburg, and what a joy it is to follow instructions. We are his family. We are growing up into the kingdom of God, and we follow God's instruction book. The Bible is God's instruction book, and we follow those instructions. Turn to Hebrews, the 13th chapter, Hebrews 13, and uh, again, remember those who have the rule over you. Of course, some of the critics say, well, it's not rule over you, they're the guides. Well, remember the guides, those who have the rule over you. Hebrews 13, verse 7, who have spoken the word of God to you. Have they spoken the word of God to you at the feast and Every Sabbath, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then verse 17, obey those who are the guides. Oh, they don't have the rule over you, they're just guides. Obey those who have the rule, who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch for your souls as those, as those who may give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. But that would be unprofitable for you. So we know that Moses was given detailed instructions. Uh, You think that the detail that we had in uh, the instruction preparing for the feast, the questionnaire and preparation before when we registered for the feast, those were detailed instructions. You think Moses had more detailed instructions. You read the architecture of the tabernacle in in the book of Leviticus and Numbers, and you have actually the joints, you have the the cloths and the embroidery and the dimensions of each part of the tabernacle and all the accoutrements, the the gold table, the the golden ark, and even the staffs for the golden ark. Every detail and the dimensions of it. And Moses said he had to do that according to the detailed instructions, and it uh, tells us there in uh, Hebrews 8 and verse 5, uh, verse 4, uh, if, for if God were on earth, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Hebrews 8 verse 5 says, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed. Hebrews 8, verse 5, Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you in the mountain. Now how 
Moses was able to remember all those detailed instructions, uh, God had to give him that, that mind power to remember all the detailed dimensions and all the elements, the materials, the, the brass, the gold, the silver, uh, the, the tapestry, and the embroidery, and all the artwork that had to go into the tabernacle. So Moses followed those detailed instructions accurately, and God commended him for do that. So we have to follow instructions. We have uh, those of you who have uh, taken tests for the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles for North Carolina. Uh, you probably read the DMV manual. Uh, so let me ask you one, one of the questions. Uh, how many feet before you turn at a intersection should you turn on your turn signal? How many feet before you t go to an intersection should you turn on your turn signal? Well, that's just one. I won't tell you the answer. You can tell about it later. But that's just one of many instructions. You have a, a vehicle manual at, the, at headquarters. We have an employee's manual. And if you're working so for some other company, you probably have an employee's manual there. And then, of course, we have the stereotypical, uh, you know, father was trying to put together some furniture or some equipment for the family and the children, and uh, he's having difficulty. And, and his wife says, well, John, just get the instructions. No, I don't have the instructions. Keeps working, finally, finally. Says, oh, where are the instructions? I, I can't put it together. And of course, that's the saying, when, I, when all else fails, follow instructions. No, that's not the best axiom. The best axiom is follow instructions from the beginning. So we are to submit to the instruction that God gives us. And, of course, we have the attitude of submitting where it tells us in Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So we follow instructions. We submit to one another in the fear of God, and we take firm hold of instruction. Uh, I won't turn there, but Proverbs 14, verse Proverbs 4, verse 13. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. I'll just read that again. Proverbs 4:13. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. And, uh, well, let's just turn there briefly to Proverbs 1, because it's, uh, you, I have a chain through Proverbs 1. I won't take the time to do it, but uh, the word instruction uh, appears in Proverbs many times, and even in the first several verses. Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom. And then verse 7, The fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 8, My son, hear the instruction of your father. So read throughout the whole book of Proverbs, and we understand that one of the greater, major Principles of spiritual growth is following the instruction book, the manual. Man should not live by bread alone, but every word of God. So number five, at the Feast of Tabernacles, we learn the lesson that we must follow instructions. 
and we submit to one another in the fear of God, and we follow instructions from God's divinely appointed leaders. So number five, follow instructions. Lesson number six, be committed to persevere. At the Feast of Tabernacles, we were reassured that we must be committed to persevere. And at the annual festival of every year, we can consider our relationship with God. We consider our commitment to God. Are we dedicated to God? Are we committed to go all the way? One lesson from the feast we should learn is that we rededicate, renew our commitment for the kingdom. Turn to Revelation 3 and verse 10. And again, the Bible doesn't say, you know, this is just a suggestion. So God's church does give suggestions, gives guidelines, but also gives instructions that should be followed. And so in Revelation, the third chapter, our Savior, the head of the body of the church, the head of the living church of God, says in in Revelation 3 and verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere. Revelation 3.10, it's a command, not a suggestion, a command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. It's a big test for the whole world. And so we had the uh, perseverance world ahead Vital quality by Mr. Dr. Douglas Winnale. And he said, a vital perseverance. I think we heard part of this today. A vital quality. Perseverance is an important law of success. The word perseverance is defined as tenacity, remaining steadfast under pressure, and determined continuation along a chosen course in spite of difficulties and opposition. The scriptures emphasize the importance of this vital quality. Solomon wrote, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Proverbs 24, verse 10. Jesus stressed, He who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 10, verse 22. Matthew 24, verse 13. And we have the uh, sermon number 906 of Philadelphia perseverance. And in a baptism, we all committed to persevere to the very end. We committed that we would love Christ more than father, mother, daughter, son, wife, husband, and our own life also. So we are committed. Let's turn to James, the first chapter, James 1. We have to persevere, and many of us have gone through very serious trials this past few months. Uh, Some of our brethren are in serious ill, but we also had some encouraging healings. James, the first chapter, James 1. We have to persevere because we go through trials, and James says, chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So we go through trials 
we have to go through serious trials and some of our, our minor trials. I had a, a minor trial at the feast this year. Uh, my Buick has a, a weak left rear tire. Mr. James Hazen has to fill it with air every few weeks. And the, the tire was getting down to about 35 pounds when it should be up about 40. And so I, my wife went to a shopping and I, I saw a gas station across the street and afterwards we went to the gas station and found the air pump out of order. So I went to the next gas station and found the, the, found the pump but it didn't work. I was frustrated. I was getting very, very agitated. Went to a third gas station and this one had a, a credit card. I could put the credit card in, nothing worked. You could put coins in for a dollar fifty and get the air pump so I could pump my air tire. I, I, my wife and I, honey, give me some change. She didn't have any money. I didn't have any money. But she had stamps, 50 cent stamps. I said, oh, I'll go inside the gas station and give her, give the man these, these stamps so I can get a dollar fifty in quarters. I needed six quarters. So he gave me the six quarters without my giving him the stamps. But anyway, I go put the six quarters in the machine and it still didn't work. Uh, and I'm saying, oh, what am I going to do? I should have gone to AAA the first time. So I, because it was too far away, I went to AAA and I walk in there and I hold on my AAA card and I said, uh, these two men, I said, at the re- AAA repair place, I need your help. I've gone to three gas stations, their air pumps won't work. I need you to put air in my left rear tire. I'll pay you $50 if you do this. And they all laughed. But he did it for free, and thankfully. So, so I learned two lessons. One, I did not count it all joy. I should have counted a joy in the first place. And number two, always have cash on hand. So that's a hope. So that's a, a recommendation for all of you. Always have some cash on hand. So anyway, we all count it all joy. We have lessons to learn. You know, think about Mr. Armstrong and the need for 10 cents for the crying baby. He didn't have 10 cents for, for the milk for the crying baby. You can read that story in Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, which he claimed Philippians 4.19. My God shall provide all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Well, I mentioned earlier in the sermon that many serve willing with a cheerful attitude. We need to maintain a positive and tranquil mind. We need to persevere. As you know, I enjoy the uh, comic strips and the Peanuts comic strip just a couple weeks ago. Charlie Brown is watching the television set, and his sister Sally is looking at the audience and says, I'm doomed Then she turns to Charlie and says, I have to write a report on rivers, and it's due next week. I just know I'll get a failing grade. Then Charlie turns away from the TV and says to his sister Sally, Why don't you work real hard and turn in the best report that you can possibly write? And Sally looks surprised and says, That never occurred to me. Never occurred to her to have a positive attitude, to have a can-do attitude. Well, summary number six, be committed to persevere. 
Matthew 24, 13, he that endures to the end will be saved. Are you 100% committed? Number seven, set goals for this year. Of course, we know our greatest goal is Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. I mentioned the Bible studies there on the lcg.org website. There's another Bible study, when you click on Bible study, the seven laws of success. So, achieving godly success. Uh, number one, set the right goal. So I hope you can uh, take advantage of that. And as we set goals for this year, uh, Dr. Scott Winnell signed us to read the booklet uh, on the Ten Commandments. Oh, well, are you going to follow? All of us that went to Williamsburg were assigned to read uh, the Ten Commandment booklet. Now, I'm a slow reader. In other words, I, I just really mark, read slowly, but I underline and I mark key words and, and key phrases and put quotable quotes or, or mark up that booklet. But I'm following through with that. And I said before, when you follow instructions, you are blessed. And so I've been reading through the Ten Commandment uh, booklet and I find it just very, very inspiring. But set goals. As we uh, read last week in uh, Dr. Douglas Winnale's comment, goals for the coming year. He said the Apostle Paul, Peter exhorted his audience to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. So Dr. Winnell exhorted us, what books can you read? What classes can you take? What topics can you study in the Bible? And what experiences can you arrange that will help you and your family grow and prepare for the kingdom of God? Set some worthwhile goals for this coming year so that you can grow to be a truly profitable servant of God. So set goals. Number seven, set goals for this coming year. I've read the Ten Commandments. I'm reading the Ten Commandments booklet. I've read uh, the Restoring uh, Original Christianity because Mr. Weston encouraged us to read this booklet and just found it so very inspiring. A slow reader, and because I'm, it, take, it takes me maybe a month because I'm reading slowly and marking it up, but you can do just five minutes a, at a time of reading a booklet. Follow instructions and God will bless you, but be determined, number seven, to endure to the end and to persevere. So God has given us all the tremendous blessings. So what lessons will, did you learn from the feast this year? Uh, Mr. Strain, in, uh, his, he's the pastor of the Charlotte congregation, uh, gave us this exhortation a week ago Friday. That I hope all of you will take advantage of the instruction and encouragement we received at the feast to motivate us to diligently pursue the kingdom to which we've been called and to do the work yet in front of us. Also, I hope all of you have a meaningful and joyful Sabbath. Uh, my wife and I will be in Kannapolis tomorrow. Uh, we hope to see you next Sabbath. That was, that was last Sabbath. So today we've discussed seven festival lessons that you remember, uh, that you've learned, that you're reassured of. Number one, submit to Christ as the active living head of the living church of God. Two, practice consistent brotherly love. Three, support the church with a healthy heart. Four, exercise vision and embrace the reality of the kingdom. Five, follow instructions. Six, be committed to persevere. 
And number seven, set goals. So what goals will you set? We need to keep moving forward. And let's all seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, of course, remember again and again, John 4:34, My meat, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So thank you, brethren, for your support of God's work, the church of the living God, and supporting our Savior Jesus Christ. So let's do the work. Let's persevere. Let's learn the lessons of life and the inspiring lessons from the feast.